and welcome to Ipsa Dixit, a podcast on legal scholarship. I'm your host, Brian L. Fry, Spears Gilbert Associate Professor of Law at the University of Kentucky College of Law. My guest is Jacob Rooksby, Dean of Gonzaga University School of Law, Professor of Law, and Professor of Education. We will discuss the process of becoming a dean and Jacob's experiences as a dean so far. So welcome to the podcast, Jacob. Thanks, Brian. Good to be here. Yeah. So, um, so I, I was wondering if we could start by you just telling listeners a little bit about your yourself, sort of your, you know, your your background, and uh, you know the kind of scholarship and positions you had before you became the dean at Gonzaga. Sure. So, just prior to becoming dean at Gonzaga, and I've been here since June of 2018. I was on the faculty at Duquesne University School of Law in Pittsburgh, and I uh, received tenure there, was uh, associate dean there. Uh, prior to that, I uh, practiced law with the firm uh, McGuire Woods in Richmond, Virginia, and my focus was intellectual property litigation. Uh, I had gone back to do a PhD uh, in higher education, and my research kind of trajectory has flowed from uh, the work that I did in that PhD program, uh, taking a look at colleges and universities and how they interact with intellectual property. Uh, so that was uh, kind of what motivated my research agenda uh, for a period of years. And that that led to a book and some other things. Um, and, you know, and in part explains, I think, my my interest in higher ed administration. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. Um, but just to clarify, was the PhD a, a degree that you did before or after you entered legal academia? Uh, so good question. I did it just immediately prior. Uh, I went to law school at the University of Virginia, and I actually did a master's in education and the social foundations of education while I was in law school. And for those who don't know, it was um, a program. It's kind of like the uh, humanities of education. So philosophy, history, anthropology of education, you know, looking at questions, why do we educate for whom, uh, for what? And, you know, I was fascinated by, by all of that. Um, I practiced right after law school and mostly, like I said, patent litigation, IP, uh, litigation, but also we represented colleges and universities, uh, in a lot of different matters. And so that started to fuel an interest in higher ed law as well. Um, and so that's, you know, in part it, what led me to go back to complete the PhD and then uh, go on the job market to be a law professor. Right. So so when you started as a law professor, did you already have sort of potential law school administration in mind? Or was that something that developed during the course of, of your, your, you know, your time at Duquesne? I think it developed during my time at Duquesne. Uh, I think, you know, my first priority was learning to become a, a, I think a decent teacher and uh, advancing my scholarship. And that took years. And you know, in the process, learning more about how, how higher ed governance works, uh, faculty shared governance, administrative leadership. And, you know, I think it hit me during at some point uh, during those those years that uh, it might be something in the future that I wanted to, to give a try. Was the associate dean position you had at Duquesne sort of related to or like testing the waters for kind of move, making the move into into administration? 
It was, yeah. And it was not uh, an associate dean for academic affairs position, which I think is probably the classic position for uh, becoming a dean. It was actually associate dean of administration, which was a relatively new position there um, at Duquesne. But it it ended up being, I think, a very um, helpful experience to me in terms of, of learning a lot about what a dean does. I got to work mm. very closely with the dean there at the time. And I uh, was exposed to a lot of the uh, sort of staff side operations of a law school that maybe, you know, some faculty are not intimately familiar with. Uh, you know, I certainly wasn't at that point in time. Uh, everything from, you know, admissions to alumni relations, IT support, um, those sorts of things. Um, and, you know, that that was mostly what I did as opposed to, you know, coursework, course scheduling, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Is the associate dean for administration position one that's common at at law schools? I don't think we really have an equivalent at University of Kentucky. Um, is it something that's like that you've seen at other schools, and was it helpful for you in kind of making getting a sense of you know what the dean proper would be doing? Yeah, it definitely was helpful to me. I think it is a position that's not all that common, although I know other schools that do have it. And sometimes it's not occupied by a professor. Um, sometimes it is. Here at Gonzaga, we had that position uh, before I got here, but it actually had been eliminated by the time I arrived. Um, so I, I've seen it in different formulations in different places, but it's uh, it's you're right. It's not it's not necessarily everywhere, unlike an associate dean for academic affairs. Yeah. Did you find that it was an effective position in in sort of maybe faculty administration relationships? Like what's your sense of what the goal for that kind of intermediate position is? Yeah. In my, in my case, I did find it to be effective because it exposed me to um, a variety of different constituencies. And I think sometimes the associate dean for academic affairs position, you may primarily just be engaging with, with faculty and maybe a few other staff members. In my case, it was a kind of broader look at some of the different pieces that that uh, come into play in in operating a law school. So in that sense, it was it was very helpful. Um, you know, and I think there's a larger conversation about just exactly how helpful is any associate dean position in preparing one for a dean's job. And um, maybe we can talk about that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, that, that would actually be great. I mean, to kind of get a sense of what the differences are. Cause I, you know, I have a sense that a lot of the listenership for the show is, is law professors, or at least a significant <laughs> percentage of the listenership. And I would imagine that a lot of them, you know, are either in those kinds of positions or have considered those kinds of positions and might even be considering some of the, you know, the decision that you made to move into administration. I'm sure it'd be helpful for people to get a sense of what, what the kind of experiential differences might be. Yeah, I think they are. Um, well, first of all, they're a lot of work and I wouldn't recommend that anyone do an associate dean position unless they really have a strong interest in doing that work and improving the institution. That's the fun of it though, is that you're in a you know, in a trusted role where you really can make some decisions that will advance the trajectory of your institution. And and that's fun. But there's a lot of, you know, thankless tasks that that, uh, that come with those positions. And, and you know, certainly one's scholarship will suffer uh, when you take on those roles. There's no getting around it. And I, you know, I miss that aspect. Um, mm. And, you know, I still have some some scholarship uh, goals ahead of me, and it's you know it's 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 difficult to make time for them. But what I found is that um, there's 
very little concerted mentorship that goes on in higher education and preparing people for administrative roles. And, you know, good mentors can be hard to come by. Um, They may not necessarily be at your own institution. And I think it is important to uh, facilitate, you know, and seek out those kinds of relationships. I've, I've had them at different stages in my career and I'm very thankful for it. Um, but some of the skills that, you know, one needs, I think, to be successful in these roles, you know, may not be explicitly taught. And, and in fact, yet they can be taught. Um, so it's a matter of finding, you know, where can you get that lesson? Where can you get that teaching? In my case, I started to do a lot of reading. Um, and honestly, I started reading some books that the titles of which I probably would have laughed at, you know, years ago, thinking, mm-hmm. you know, why would anyone spend time reading that? But um, there were some valuable takeaways for me in terms of leadership and um, just sort of group dynamics and decision making. And and so these things are, you know, some feel like they're innate or whatever. I, and they may be to a degree, but I think really you there, it's, it's an area where one can uh, – be thoughtful and improve how they uh, approach the position. And often I think in an associate dean's role and certainly in a dean's role, um, there, you know, there's not enough hours in the day. You, you, you have to really carve out the time to do that because no one will otherwise suggest that you do it or require that you do it. And maybe you could give a couple examples of particular books that you found helpful in kind of thinking about the sort of expectations or the, the new role that you would have in a dean position? Yeah. So one that was recommended to me by someone outside of higher education uh, was it's called tribal leadership and kind of a silly name. And, you know, you read it, it seems like one of those, you know, business school bestsellers that you might see in an airport somewhere. And to some extent it is, Uh, but it really kind of talks about different stages of organizational thinking and, and it really resonated with me because um, it describes kind of a progression of institutional functioning. Institutions that function well tend to have certain kinds of group dynamics. And, um, you know, and, and so they, they separate it into kind of levels. Um, and you can do some analysis as to, you know, at, at what level is your organization functioning and how can you get it from one level to the other? And, you know, some of the one, one thing that that stood out for me. Uh, is there is a tendency, I think, for people to develop teams that they trust, and they also then develop people, you know, that they know they don't work well with for whatever reason. And they start to avoid those people, right? And they start to come up with messages like, well, you know, only so-and-so can be trusted, so let's only include that person in the conversation, and we'll work around someone else, which then only reaffirms that person's frustration of being worked around and then trying to obstruct you know, whatever the progression may be, um, when really, you know, at, at, at base, everyone wants to be included. Um, and you know, it's, it's, it's much healthier for the organization when people are included in meetings. And so one of the suggestions of the book was never have a one-on-one meeting because most likely there's someone else who should be at that table or in the room, uh, who you haven't invited. And so I kind of challenged myself, to uh, to implement that and started inviting people to meetings who weren't used to being invited to to those meetings and that was on me you know I I had I'd been at the institution I was at for a while and had sort of developed my teams of people or folks that I knew I worked well with and you know those that I 
tried to work around and and that really wasn't healthy um so mm. that was a book that kind of gave me that thought um there are many others about higher education that i had been reading or had read already in my past background and i continue to do that um i like to think kind of broadly about where higher education is going um and so there's a number of different uh you know writers and thinkers who have good good things to say on that topic yeah no and it seems like you know, the advice of like not having or not creating kind of inside and outside groups within the institution would be especially important at an institution of higher education like law school, where, you know, your ability to terminate <laughs> the relevant people is pretty limited. Right. No, absolutely. And I do think, though, there's a tendency for, you know, any faculty or staff member when there is a new dean to say, okay, what's this mean for me? You know, is, mm. is this person going to be good for me or bad for me? And they mm. operationalize that in different ways. Um, and part of a Dean's job is, is, is attempting and working a good faith to be good for everyone. Um, and, and I certainly see that as, as in my job description that you aren't favoring one set of people or one group over another. Yeah. Maybe you could talk a little bit about kind of the process of making the transition to sort of prepare to move into administration. Like, was there a precipitating moment or was this kind of a process that took place over a long period of time? And sort of what were the steps that you took to sort of prepare yourself to make that move? Yeah, I had talked to a couple of uh, trusted colleagues at uh, my own institution and elsewhere who had pursued deanship opportunities or were currently a dean and learned a little bit just about the process. Um, in, in my particular case, I wasn't uh, overly anxious to, to move and certainly moving across the country was a big move for us. Um, but I, I heard from a, you know, a search firm that had been retained by Gonzaga to uh, lead the search for the next dean. And I read the prospectus and I thought, this sounds interesting. There's some things in there uh, about Spokane and about Gonzaga that really spoke to me. Um, and I thought, uh, you know, I'll call up this person who sent me this email and just get more information. And I did that. We ended up having a great conversation and kind of hit it off on the phone. Um, and I thought, hey, you know, I, I think I'm going to apply. Um, but I didn't, I wanted to do it intentionally and I didn't want to uh, just start, you know, sending off letters willy nilly. And I know that's an approach that some have taken. And I, I think I would caution against it. And from what mm. I learned in the process, um, that can come through to people on the other end, where there's some folks who just want to be a dean, or mm -hmm. you know, they, they just want to get out of their institution for whatever reason. That was not me. And and so I, I hope that came through in the letter that I wrote. But it, it certainly was something that I put a lot of time, effort, thought and energy into. And I can't imagine doing it lightly. Um, that said, I've now had occasion to read other people's letters and, you know, I kind of try to counsel people if, if, if this isn't the exact kind of school you want to be at, then, you know, maybe you shouldn't be going through the process. And, um, I, I do think there's some things that one can do in that, in, in the cover letter to, um, you know, start to put the best foot forward, um, mm. and speak very specifically to accomplishments and speak very specifically to what is in the job ad, right? Because, um, you know, every institution is different and in where they are in their trajectory and their history. Um, and showing some sensitivity and care for that, I think, is uh, important. Um, so, you know, in my case, then, um, 
I was happy to be selected for a first round interview, which was actually out in Spokane uh, with, you know, 15 people in the room and I had not interviewed for anything in years, you know, (laughs) I was kind of daunted by this prospect, but I knew what it was going to be like. I had been told, you know, here's who's on the committee and this is what the room's going to be like. Um, so I prepared a lot for it and, uh, you know, I, I, I kind of mooted my performance with, with, uh, family members and some others, and thought through potential questions and what I would say and that sort of stuff. And one thing that I think I heard after the fact from, from colleagues now who were part of that process is that, you know, that, that meant something that, that Mm. I cared enough to do the homework to prepare for not only the first round interview, but then certainly the callback interview. And I was struck because I was like, well, certainly everyone does that. Right. um, (laughs) You know, apparently not Um, some kind of dial it in because again, maybe they have five lines in the water and this one isn't the most, you know, appealing one or, or whatever the case may be, they're busy and just don't have the time to do it. Um, It's an investment. And I think that's, that's something I learned as well. Like Mm. this was my first application for a deanship and I was delighted to be selected also sort of surprised, Mm. Um, but I put a lot of effort into it and I can't imagine, um, you know, having the wherewithal to, to do that, you know, at scale. Um, Mm. and so I think some people just say, okay, well, I'm not going to put in that effort. I'm going to kind of throw out the applications and see what sticks. And then they may, you know, be surprised that they're not getting any, any callbacks or, you know, they're not advancing in the next round. I think a focus on, you know, the one right in front of you that's of interest is, is critical. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was wondering if you could talk with a little more kind of specificity, if you can, about like what specifically you were looking for in an institution that you thought would make it a good fit for you. And and maybe also kind of your impression of what Gonzaga was looking for that made you a good fit for it. I mean, beyond your obvious kind of preparation to sort of show that you were, you know, legitimately interested and kind of how you would think about that issue more more broadly. Because I guess I've always kind of just assumed that, you know, law schools and other institutions of higher education have a kind of Tolstoyan cast, right? You know, like every happy institution is happy in the same way and every unhappy institution is unhappy in its own unique way. But, you know, I don't really have any basis for that. I'm just kind of assuming it. Am I right? Or, yeah, you know? To some degree, I think. But, um, you know, I certainly discern some differences. I I think one thing, okay, so right away, a question I had for the search consultant was, is this a real search? (laughs) And, um, you know, I had learned enough from talking to folks that, and, you know, just through my studies of higher education, that some searches with outside firms are simply to bless a preordained outcome anyway, right? There's an internal candidate who's favored and is most likely going to get the job. Um, I didn't see the point in going through the process if that were the case. And I was assured and, you know, subsequently found out that there um, there were no no internal interest um, in uh, by anyone on the faculty for uh, the dean's position and that that was actually telling of, I think, where the institution was in this particular moment in its history and actually wanting someone from a different place to come and bring fresh ideas and, and new visions for for going forward. So that actually became quite appealing because I knew it was sort of a blank slate in, in that regard. Um, there were other aspects about, you know, this institution. So I had been at a, at another Catholic school that was not Jesuit. 
Um, I had gone to a Jesuit high school, though, in Indianapolis, where I grew up, and had been profoundly impacted by by Jesuits in my life. Um, ironically, I'm not Catholic, uh, but I, I really found that, um, you know, the Jesuits approach to education was a compelling one and, and one that really set me on my trajectory in life. Um, my wife and I were married by uh, the rector of my high school, uh, a Jesuit priest. Um, so I knew a thing or two about Jesuit educational philosophy and, and believed in it. And at the same time, had been in a in a Catholic institution that wasn't Jesuit and I thought was missing some of its uh, potential or opportunity um, with respect to kind of being a private school, a faith-based institution, I, I think we have more degrees of freedom in important ways than than public schools. And I had gone to a public law school, so I had seen those differences. And mm-hmm. I really made that part of my uh, approach in the interview. Um, there's other things that I, I learned about the community here in Spokane. Uh, it has a very vibrant intellectual property uh, bar, which was appealing, but also somewhat unusual given the location of Spokane mm. inland Northwest. Um, and, you know, also had a, a great community here in medicine for my wife. She, she's an anesthesiologist. So there, there were a lot of things that, um, community wise spoke to us. This was not just, you know, uh, you know, another law school somewhere that, you know, oh, we will love the community kind of thing. You know, it was, it was actually, um, these things we found appealing. Um, Mm. And also, you know, being a student of higher education, the more I learned about our law school and how it fits within the university here, I felt that I had some things to contribute. And I think our law school at Gonzaga is not unique in the sense that for many years it was built up as a very separate type of entity, Um, you know, arm's length relationship with the university. Um, and, and that's typical in a lot of different places and reason being very similar that law schools were cash cows for the university for, for decades. And so mm. the notion was leave us alone and, you know, uh, we're ju- doing just fine without you. Well, of course, times have changed in legal education. And I think we're seeing nationwide law schools come closer into, uh, the fold of the university. And that's been a good thing. Um, I have a lot of background in, in higher ed, studying it, uh, writing about it. And so I felt like I had some skills to, to bring into that conversation. And here at Gonzaga, those were things that, um, you know, the senior leadership, uh, they were interested in as well. Yeah. So in, in preparation for actually becoming Dean, like, you know, once you were, you decided to go after the job and even more so kind of once you got the job and had to kind of prepare yourself to actually do it. Um, what kind of expectations did you have ba- based on your kind of your own research and maybe on conversations with other people who are providing advice and sort of to what extent were those expectations confirmed and were there any surprises once you actually stepped into the role? You know, that's a great question. I think uh, I-, I reached out to uh, colleagues that I knew who had done this before were in the role. Um, there is what what they call the uh, Baby Dean School. <laughs> the ABA puts on in uh, June for huh. deans. Everyone meets in Chicago, and you know, uh, folks who have done this before kind of lead the programming. And there's a lot of you know discussion around the water cooler about what to expect and and what it's like. Um, there's an element of truth to the kind of notion that you can't really know what it's like until you do it. And I remember 
you know, starting in, in, uh, in June and, you know, immediately some situations came about where I thought, wow, I remember, um, as an associate Dean, these things came about and, you know, they're hard, difficult situations involving students or alumni or whatever the case may be faculty. Um, but you ultimately are not responsible for the decision and you provide input on the decision. And then it hit me I'm like, wait a second. Oh, I, the buck stops here. I actually have to be satisfied with where we come out on this. And that was a little bit of a scary moment, um, uh, for sure. And then, and then you get used to it. Um, there's something to be said for there, the hours deans keep are, um, usually quite long and, um, there's always more work to be done. Right. And so I think mm. initially, uh, part of the struggle for me was, was learning when to leave the office and, you know, learning, really what needs my attention today versus what is a slower burn type project and, and taking some, you know, solace in knowing that not everything is going to change tomorrow, right? That, um, mm -hmm. some of these projects are much, you know, much longer, um, duration and that's healthy, normal, and good. Um, that's no reflection on, on the Dean necessarily. Uh, so that took a little bit of getting used to, I think on the, on the other end, there were some things that I thought, you know, well, gosh, this isn't rocket science. And sometimes people, they talk about deanships in a way that um, make folks feel like, you know, they're inaccessible or not for me, or I, I must saturate as a professor or as an associate dean for 40 years, and then maybe I'll be ready. And I don't think any of that is true. I mean, mostly what I uh, have found that, you know, the dean's role, it's, it's, it requires humanity, and it requires um, some perspective on on life. And I don't think anyone has a lock on that based upon age or experience or, you know, have they published, you know, in certain law reviews or those kinds of things don't correlate at all with their ability to manage and work with people and inspire people. Mm. Um, so those aspects of the job, I find I draw from aspects of my life and background that oftentimes have nothing to do with, with me as a law professor or with me as, you know, w you know, teaching or writing. Uh, they're not, they're not related at all. Um, and you look back and say, gosh, how can you prepare for that then? And, you know, I don't know, I'm still kind of, uh, still kind of working through that, but I think anything that, um, you know, I, I actually, I'll tell you one, <laughs> one thing where I felt as I look back on, on what I've done, in life, um, one, one experience that I, I think did prepare me for this very well, and it's going to sound silly, but right out of law school, um, we bought a condo in Richmond, Virginia, and it was in a new condo building um, where they were mm. just starting a condo association. The builders were, you know, handing off the management of the condo. And so we go to a, a first meeting of the condo association. They said, we need to elect a board and we need to elect a president. And I was fresh out of law school, you know, excited to put some of my uh, knowledge to work. You know, I'm like, yeah, I'll do this. Sure. You know, this sounds fun. Um, no one else wanted to do it very wisely. <laughs> so, so I got elected president. If you think being a dean is thankless, <laughs> yeah, huh? Exactly. I got elected president of our small little 13-member condo association board. And I thought, you know, there's not going to be anything really to this, you know. Uh, the amount of things that I quickly learned about my neighbors and the complaints and the issues that, that all of a sudden were, were, you know, delivered to me and I was supposed to, you know, find a way out. We got into disputes with different, 
you know, I won't bore you with the details, but, but I would tell my students about it in torts. And I would say, at some point in your life, you may own a condo or, or you know, in a townhome or something, and there's a, an association. Do not be on the board. Whatever you do, <laughs> run away. <laughs> um, you know, but I look back on that now and I think, God, I learned a lot, actually, about how to interact with people. And certainly when there's conflict or the potential for conflict, um, how to navigate some of that. So, again, that's a skill that, that, that wasn't born out of my experience as a law professor. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you are, you are a professor as well as being a dean. And I know that's common among law school deans, but not universal. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about balancing those two roles in your new position and, and sort of if there are any kind of pluses and minuses to having a dean professor versus a dean, you know, some other uh, prior role. Yeah, I will say one thing I noticed um, coming to Gonzaga, I, as mentioned, had not been on the faculty here before. So I was not known to, to students in the classroom. And so immediately people are meeting me as the dean. And uh, at our institution, that has historically meant a pure administrator. And um, deans have, my, some of my predecessors, to be sure, have, have taught, um, but maybe not right away. And maybe, you know, years went by and and then they returned to the classroom. So one thing I felt strongly about was that I, you know, first and foremost, I'm a professor. I want my colleagues to see me as that. And, you know, I think the students, um, I would like for them to see me as that and to understand that, that teaching and scholarship are really important parts of who I am. Um, so at the same time, I was advised by by many deans, oh, you won't have time to do it. Uh, you know, I, I thought that too. And, you know, I haven't taught and there's just too much to do. You travel, you're, you know, with alums, that sort of thing. And, you know, there may be something to be said for the size of our institution is smaller than some law schools. And maybe at a larger law school, it, it frankly is impossible to, to teach. But in my case, I really felt like this is something that um, I want to do and I want to try to make time for. So um, that will start for me um, next year. And we have, um, you know, a, a colleague or two who may be going on sabbatical. So there's some needs in our curriculum that I might be able to, to help with. Um, and actually, this semester, we had, a, we had an opening in our externship program uh, and a need for, for someone to teach an externship course. So I'm actually stepping in and, and doing that, which I'm happy to do. Um, you know, and it's kind of a, it's a new thing for me. I, you know, I didn't participate in an externship uh, when I was in law schools, because I'm pretty certain we didn't have them. Um, and, you know, I was, I was lightly familiar with what they entailed at my time at Duquesne, but, you know, had never really given much thought to it. And now I am. So it's a great way for me to kind of learn more about how we operate and get in the classroom and, and interact with some students. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's, that's great. I mean, I think that kind of being a, a, a more immediate kind of presence for the students must be really, really a positive, uh, as well. Um, I was wondering if maybe I could ask you to, and this question's a little bit more maybe speculative or not drawn directly from your experience, but I imagine you must've thought about it. I mean, it's my sense from the outside of administration as a faculty member that like different schools looking for new deans, um, often will fall into like different circumstances, right? I mean, there's some schools where it's a healthy institution that's just making a trend, like a normal transition to a new leadership, 
you know, after a period of time or a retirement or a transition or a lateral move of some kind by their former dean. Um, but there are other schools where there's you know, like a problem at the institution and they're looking to, to, to change it or fix it. And I, I was wondering if you could like reflect for just a moment on like the differences between those two and like, are, are there different people who would be more appropriate for one than the other? And like, how would you think about those two relationships in terms of people thinking about kind of making this shift? Cause it seems like the latter obviously might be a lot more daunting in some ways than the former. Yeah. So this kind of goes back to which skills correlate with success in a deanship? Um, what does that institution need at this particular moment in time? And you're right. Some institutions are probably um, so, you know, they're functioning so well that they simply need a figurehead at the top who can impress outside audiences on the basis of their uh, intellectual prowess and, and accomplishment. And those things are, you know, important to that institution. Um, I, I've not been at such a place, so I'm not I'm not as directly familiar with that model, but I have seen it. But I also know some of those people, and I've gotten to know some of those folks. And I'm not certain that they could, you know, lead their way out of a paper bag. But they are you know, <laughs> they are leading putatively a, a large organization, um, and you know maybe they do it well, and but maybe there's also very little required because everything's functioning fine, right? Um, I think th at many more institutions and, and ones that I've been more familiar with, um, you know, there, there are problems that need to be worked through. Um, nothing that doesn't have a solution or that cannot be solved, but, um, you know, there, there, there needs to be some form of leadership. And that requires some aptitude and or interest, um, certainly an interest in, in um, you know, in, in taking on that responsibility and that uh, is not something for everyone. And that is not something that I think, you know, being a professor necessarily prepares one to do well. Um, I said, and I certainly believe that, you know, to the extent that we have problems or issues, I want to know about them, one, but two, I want to be part of the hard work of solving them. And that means going where people are. That means rolling up one's sleeves and, you know, putting on the thinking cap and, uh, trying to work through these things. And I think every institution probably has some elephants in the room in terms of things that people know these are issues or problems, but we don't talk about them. And often those are the very things that inhibit success or growth or progression as an institution. And I said, and I believe, you know, I'm, I'm firmly committed to recognizing those elephants and seeing what we can do to, to remove them from the room. That may not happen in one semester, in one year, you know, two years, three, it, it could be a longer project, but it doesn't mean that you, uh, you know, avoid doing that. And I think this gets to, you know, a, a broader, larger existential question for a prospective dean. What is it that you want to be your legacy? What do you really hope to accomplish? And I certainly think there are some schools that, you know, would, would let off, would let the dean off easy in that and just, hey, come here for, you know, three to five years, and, you know, be the person at the top that can, uh, you know, we can advertise and, and that sort of thing. But we're not really looking for any transformative change. Um, there are other folks who are actually interested or committed to the harder project of how do we truly improve this institution from the inside out? What does that take? And, and that's what I'm interested in doing. And that's what, what drew me here. 
Yeah. Well, Jake, I got to say, I mean, it's, it's so great and inspiring to have, to see someone like you in this kind of position, really kind of committed to improving uh, and working with the place that, that you work. And, and I got to say, you know, this is a subject area. Where I am, you know, very much a professor and very much not an administrator. So like, uh, uh, this has been incredibly informative to me. And I'm wondering if, if there's anything that like, I just didn't know to ask you about, like, have I left anything out that you think is really important that, that people should hear b- before we close? Gosh, no, I think we've covered, um, we've covered what was on my mind. And I, I would just say that, you know, these are, these are great jobs, but um, it, it's, it's servant leadership. It's, it's a meeting where it's meeting people where they are and trying to find uh, what is that aspect of, of a person's professional life that is um, the aspect that will help the institution the most. And how do you bring that out and give that, that, uh, you know, that best, um, you know, perspective on who they are so that we can all share in that. And, you know, that's special work to get to do. Um, and you know, it's, it's an honor to get to do it. All right. Well, thank you so much, Jacob. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. Good talking with you, Brian. Oh!